All right, um, get started again. Um, it's nice to see faces. <laughs> Thank you for those who are, feel like having their cameras on. I certainly don't want you to feel uh, uh, any pressure to do that, but uh, it's great because I do. I do tend to keep it, I like to keep it on gallery. I don't particularly want to watch myself. Uh, I mean, as handsome as I am. Uh, yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, you get tired of it after a while. No, but, um, and, I, and I just want to mention, I, I apologize for my voice dropping a bit during the meditation. Uh, it's, I think it's, it's partly just sort of being in my own space here and I start guiding the meditation and then I start meditating and next thing you know, I'm just talking to myself. So uh, I'll try to, usually that doesn't happen during the Dharma talk. So, but do let me know if, if it does. And of course the problem people have, you know, they send me notes when I'm guiding the meditation. I can't hear you, but my eyes are closed. So I don't see the notes. So, eh, you know, it's always something. Um, you know, so, so I, I, uh, you know, I started thinking again about step 11. It's just, it's so funny after so many years that I can come back to these steps and, and keep feeling like I'm finding something different and, uh, or whatever, just something to say anyway. And, and as I was reflecting on what it was that I kind of got, was sort of putting together about the step today. Um, it, it's, I'm not quite trying, I'm not trying to exactly just substitute Buddhist words or even Buddhist concepts into the step as much as I am thinking about the step as a framework for a process. And I don't know if there's actually a big difference between those two things or if that makes sense to anybody, but, you know, the, it, I certainly, the idea of, oh, I'm going to explain how the Dharma is the same as God isn't, that's kind of a headache to me. It's, it's like trying to, you know, mix them together, force them together. And yet in the process, in the framework of step 11, the Dharma and certain elements, particular elements of the Dharma, especially, do take that take that place. So, so let me let me go through these some of these ideas. Um, and just to, first of all, to recite the step as it's as it's uh, written. The step says we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So Im immediately we want to take some, a mortar or, or, or a sledgehammer to the word him and, and smash it out of the step. It's just like, that doesn't belong there. The rest of it we can work with. That's a pronoun that's just not acceptable in this step. Uh, so it starts with the idea that we are seeking something. We sought through prayer and meditation. So that's a, a suggestive word. It, it first of all means that 
we're not there yet, at least when we engage, first engage this step, and that there is a process that we're trying that we're trying to uh, step into. And so we're seeking, and through prayer and meditation. So I don't know how much I want to say about prayer. Uh, you know, people, that's sort of another Dharma talk, but I'll, briefly, I guess I have time tonight to talk. Um, you know, Buddhists don't pray to the Buddha. Most Buddhists don't, as far as I know. I don't, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to do things for us. But we still use language that's very prayer-like, uh, but it's more like uh, there's kind of like an openness or a, uh, inviting, you know, may all beings be happy is a kind of prayer, right? The loving kindness phrases, may all beings be peaceful, may beings, all beings be free from suffering. It's a kind of prayer, but it's really about activating our own heart or engaging our own heart, kind of bringing ourselves into a positive mind state. Um, so it's not so much about, you know, us and some other exterior thing. It's more about cultivating something within ourselves. Uh, there might, there's more that could be said about that, but maybe not tonight so much. But the second aspect we're seeking through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. So we can see how this correlates very closely with our meditation practice, which is really kind of seeking to help us to be more awake, more conscious of the Dharma, conscious of the truth, conscious of what is true, conscious of reality. So that can mean everything from just conscious of feeling your breath, that reality, to much bigger ideas like consciousness of impermanence or consciousness of selflessness, corelessness, what we call not self. So we're, we are trying to cultivate in ourselves this capacity to be awake, but not just to be awake, but to be awake in a certain way. So knowing the Dharma, having conscious contact with the Dharma means that we, first of all, we have to sort of understand what the Dharma is, which, which means there's some, some study that goes into this process of of waking up, you know, this next step, the 12 steps as we had a spiritual awakening. So that spiritual awakening requires us to engage in, in this awakeness in a certain kind of way. So the mo most obvious way, thing that we are trying to wake up to and to be present for is the Eightfold Path. So the beginning of the Eightfold Path is right view. So that's seeing the Dharma, right? So we, we're trying to wake up to see the truth in each moment. 
but it's not enough to just see it. We also need to act on it. And the step refers to that when the step says, praying only for knowledge, which is the, that's the, that's, that's right view. And the power to carry that out, that's right action. So we're, we're not just trying to know stuff. We're trying to live differently. So we're really in this process of transformation. I, uh, I guess since this is a Buddhist recovery group or Dharma and recovery group, should come back a little bit to what that means in terms of recovery. You know, the addicted mind lives in delusion or in what we would call wrong view and acts on wrong intention and acts with wrong action. So all of this is out of tune, is out of touch with the Dharma. And we are trying to change ourselves so that we start to live in harmony with the Dharma. And, and of course, we can do that intentionally. You know, the, the Buddha talks about these different ways that we can follow the precepts. And we can say this is true of just this uh, following the path in general, that it can be done with willpower. But we know, and, this, and the 12-step literature talks about this, that willpower has its limits because the strength of addiction, the strength of habits can pull us back into those negative habits, that conditioning. So we're trying to, for something more transformative than just the will. We can start there though. That's where we start, right? We just show up and start like we'll say, you know, to take the next right action or, um, you know, act as if, you know, all of that to kind of get going. But it is, as we progress in this process, you know, what we're really trying to do is change to, so that we more in, instinctively respond in a positive way. And, and I think this is a very natural outgrowth of, you know, staying clean and sober, working a program with sincerity, you know, and that's very important. You know, you can kind of like show up and act as if, but really not be committed. Right? And that's the kind of like your parents sent you to rehab kind of thing, you know, or you're going to get fired from your job if you get caught drinking again type of thing, you know, where you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're supposedly working a program, but you're not truly in recovery. But, but I do think that if we really engage in recovery and it takes years, maybe a couple years at least for this to start to become like who you are rather than just you're doing it because you're supposed to. So this transformation you know, happens little by little in recovery and it happens with the Dharma. And I guess I think of the transformation, the Dharma transformation as being um, more subtle in a way. Excuse me, I've got an itchy nose. You know, that because obviously recovery is pretty gross in a way. And I don't mean gross, disgusting. I mean, gross as opposed to subtle. Uh, that, you know, recovery is you don't drink and use anymore. That's a big change. The, 
transformation that we're talking about with the Dharma is operating on, we could say a deeper level. And, and the steps tr uh, try for this, steps are pointing to this through the inventory process, through step six and seven, trying to you know, abandon the so-called character defects. The, but Buddhism goes kind of straight at this. Uh, and, and I'm going to re return to then, you know, an, another kind of topic that that comes up for me a great deal. So it's funny, I, you know, I feel like I'm, I have a fresh thought about <laughs> the step. And then when I start to talk about it, I realize, oh, I'm saying the same thing I always say. But, you know, that's because what is true is just true. And, and we... we keep coming back to it. And, and in fact, this work is very much about reminding ourselves and certainly for, for me, reminding myself what is true uh, on a daily basis. It's why I meditate every day and why I study the Dharma uh, you know, on a regular basis because the conditioning to, to fall back into habit patterns is so powerful. So, this process of transformation that starts to happen. We can talk about it as work operating and happening on a karmic level. So what that means is that there are these three ways in which we change. We change our external behavior. We change our way of speaking and relating with people. And we change, perhaps most importantly, our mind and our thinking and our emotional patterns. And that inner work is where the Dharma really has its most powerful effect. And this is the, the area where, as, as I'm talking about these different ways we can change, this is the area where in which we transform in a way that we really become different people, that we have different, we have new impulses. We have, we have different uh, guiding principles. We have, we're, we're guided by different, um, not just values, but, but feelings. We, 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 we're responding to the world in different ways. This is the, this is the amazing transformation that starts to happen. So praying for knowledge of his will for us, that knowledge is the Dharma. And the, the Dharma doesn't have any will for, for us. But again, in, in terms of kind of uh, framing what this process involves, it's gaining knowledge and becoming attuned to the law of karma so that we are living in harmony with the Dharma. We're acting in harmony with it. And not that then living that. So these actions, clearly we, the first of these is the external. And without the external, the internal, uh, well, it's really an interesting question. Uh, what happens? You could think, wow, is it possible 
to change internally, but not change externally. And I guess I would point to some of the uh, Dharma teachers who have uh, behaved unskillfully and, you know, which if you don't know about any of them, (laughs) you could probably Google. uh, I'm not sure unskillful would be the word to Google. (laughs) I would say like uh, sexual escapades of Buddhist teachers, something like that. You'll find something, you know, um, you realize you, there are some of the some teachers where you read their work or listen to their work and think they're so brilliant and insightful and clearly something has happened internally, but for somehow they've uh, uh, haven't gotten the full message. That's uh, or they've uh, you know decided that uh, they're that they have a special they get a special. Uh, dispensation because they're so enlightened that they can do whatever the hell they want. Hmm. Anyway, for most of us, you know, the external and the internal really need to be in harmony. And and that's so, and, and this is one of the things I love about working with people in recovery is that there's no sort of question about that, you know, uh, because there is, there can be this sort of, can't I have a glass of wine sort of mentality among a lot of Buddhists, even though there's a precept that says, no, you can't, but you know, oh no, I can't. Anyway, that's their business. I, I, this is the part of the talk that we should ask Jesse to edit out so we don't offend anybody. But people in recovery get this on a very basic level. Because we all were trying to cheat karma, you know, we all were trying to get away with it. Like, thought, like, uh, you know, smoking a couple of joints, a couple of lines, whatever, you know, it's not really a problem. I'm, I'm okay. Nobody's getting hurt. You know? And, uh, you know, we were living in that delusion. And when we come out of that, and particularly if we do an inventory of our past, it's just so evident to us. Oh yeah, the behavior just wasn't cool. I mean, it's it's so interesting. My own history. Uh, you know, I I thought that I could just meditate, and that that would fix everything. You know, and I did that. I mean, I I meditated a lot before I got sober. Uh, I went on a three month retreat. I didn't drink or use for those three months. Afterwards, I went back to drinking and using and blackouts. And, you know, it just, uh, it, it clearly, meditation alone is not a recovery program. And it's not, a, it's not an ultimate transformation. There has to be the external. And, and, and in fact, we see that this kind of um, inflated idea of what being a Buddhist and being a meditator can, can bring to somebody can be used as a justification to say, oh, you know, it's all cool. You know, I'm just a drunk Buddha, you know, it's, it's just, or I'm just a, you know, tripping Buddha, you know, that's like, and I don't think so. You know, I don't think so. It certainly in my life didn't change. You know, uh, it actually got worse for a while. Um, 
So the external and the internal all have to, we have to do work on all those levels. And, and so, you know, clearly, you know, sobriety or a, a recovery program tends to focus primarily on the external. And, and I, and one of the reasons that I've, that I do the work I do and that I write what I write is that I really wanted to draw people in recovery more into the inner work. And, and, you know, when I came to the 12 step world and I saw that 11 step, I was like, Oh, great. They meditate here. This was 1985. It turned out nobody was meditating there. I was like, Oh, they're missing something. And, and, and so I, I do think that the recovery world has, has uh, evolved quite a bit around this. I hear a lot more about meditation meetings these days. But just to go through this a little bit more so that, you know, in the, <coughs> in the Eightfold Path, this area around behavior focuses on speech and then morality and livelihood. So it's, you know, Buddhism, even though it's thought of as this sort of contemplative religion, has central to its path the way we live, even the way, even the work that we do is part of it. And we know that, you know, it's hard to be like a clean and sober drug dealer. You know, I mean, I guess it can be done. I mean, I know there's, there's actually, uh, it's not uncommon to see sober people working as bartenders, but, you know, it's just like, making it more difficult for yourself, basically. So, so we have these action elements of the Eightfold Path and then the meditative elements. And, you know, the, the bridge between these is the speech. And speech is a bridge between thought and action. You know, and, and, you know, usually we classically, you know, we have a thought, we speak about it, and then we act on it. It doesn't, of course, always work in that way. But as the Dhammapada says in its opening lines, uh, you know, thoughts are always behind actions. Before we really do anything, there's always this thought, a thought. And so if we don't see our thoughts, then we're much less able to kind of keep a, you know, to, to manage the, the behavior. But, uh, you know, even more essential to recovery and to the spiritual growth is just to see what are our beliefs? What, what is the form that our thoughts are taking? And we start to see that there are so many unhelpful thoughts that arise in our minds. And this is where the meditation practice becomes difficult. And and really, especially when you first try to do mindfulness meditation, you you can kind of come to it thinking, oh, meditation, great. This is a place to get peaceful and relaxed, you know, get away from it all, you sit down and it's almost the opposite. 
like you're not getting away from it all. You're being thrown in the middle of it because you discover that it all is really your mind and the stuff that your mind spits out. And so instead of, you know, saying, oh, I'm going to meditate and get away from it all. Instead, what, what we start to see is that I'm going to meditate and I'm going to have to see, I'm going to have to be with it all. And that it's not about suppressing it or getting rid of it, but changing my relationship to this. So this is the kind of the key thing that allows us, allows this transformation to start. And that is that we, the initial aspect of changing our relationship to our thoughts is that we look at them as a scientist or an, an anthropologist would look at the behavior of like a culture, you know, oh, I'm watching this village of people, you know, who don't have any technology and I'm going to see how they behave, you know? So we kind of, we, we sort of take this scientific lens is what is an attempt at an objective lens on what's going on in my mind. And of course, it really helps to have a teacher and to have the Dharma to spell this out to, to say, well, these are the things that typically happen in people's minds. Did you happen to notice desire? Did you happen to notice anger or aversion? Did you notice any judgments, fantasies, fears, you know, memories? Did you, you know, compulsions? You know, did you start to, did you notice stuff? And you start to see, oh, yeah, 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 I saw that. Well, okay, you're not alone. So key thing, right? This isn't, and so this idea of not self, it's not this abstract idea. It's realizing that all this stuff that's happening isn't really unique to you. A self is something that's like unique, stands alone, uh, you know, is separate from the world. Your mind isn't really separate from the world. Everything that's in your mind came from somewhere. It came either from your conditioning or from your genetics. You're, it's, it's just this brain, this system, this neurological system that generates stuff. And you start to realize that because so much of what's going on, you'd wish it wouldn't happen. So you're like, well, if these are my thoughts, why can't I tell them to shut up? you know, this is something the Buddha addresses directly. He says, if you owned your own mind, you'd be able to tell it what to do. If it were you, if they were your thoughts, you would be able to say, I'm going to have really nice, brilliant, loving, you know, creative. That's all, all my thoughts. That's going to be great, you know, but are they that? Of course they're not, you know, they're, and so you start to see, oh, this isn't really mine. And this gives you like, let me do it this way so you can see. Now you're like, eh. you're a 16th of an inch away from your thoughts. Yeah. And then you're starting to edge a little further and further away. And all of a sudden you're like, huh, oh, these are interesting. These little ants running around in my mind, uh, these little thoughts, thought ants, you know, these are weird. Wow. That's weird. Where did that? Am I thinking that again? I can't believe it. I thought I was done with you, you know, and you, and it starts to be this different relationship, right? 
So simply that relationship, simply that shift in relationship is transformative in and of itself, because every time you remember, oh, uh, you know, every time you snap out of that spell, because it is, and the Buddha uses this word disenchantment, great word, right? We're enchanted. We're under a spell. It's really a good uh, characterization of the human experience of the human mind that we are under a spell. Uh, so every time you snap out of that enchantment, you're like, oh, right, 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 right. It's okay. All right. And you don't have to say, let it go, because that, that moment is a letting go. You were just, you broke it again. You stepped away again. And then, you know, you forget and you lock in again where self and thought are merged and, you know, and there's just no, you know, it's just one thing. But our practice is one whereby we can keep coming back, right? And, you know, we say that at the end of meetings, we say it during guided meditations. And it is our practice that we keep coming back. And through this persistence, we start to weaken the conditioning. We weaken the belief system. We weaken the habit pattern. And we create a new habit. The new habit is one of seeing the Dharma, of right view, of right intention. And, you know, and the old habits die hard, as they say. And really, realistically, I don't know of anybody who doesn't still have some of them. Maybe there's somebody on top of a mountain in the Himalayas. But I bet if you went up there with a, some chocolate, they would, uh, you know, succumb quickly. To, uh, it's not because obviously it's one thing to separate yourself from the world, but to actually be in the world and and be unattached is is you know just very hard and 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 so one of the things you know one of the persistent sticky thoughts is why do i keep doing this why do i keep falling? what's wrong with me that i can't stop this it's like oh catch that one oh that's another one you mean I don't have to believe that either? I don't have to believe that I'm a failure as a meditator and a Buddhist because I still have thoughts, that I still have lust, that I still have anger. Oh, okay. So kind of what this thing is saying is it's okay to be human, but don't stop trying to, you know, transform. So this is the work of the 11th step. It's the work of Dharma practice. It's not mystical. I think there, you know, I know that that when I came to the, to Buddhism, when I first came to meditation, which I got into another kind of meditation first, it was very much with this idea of like, it's going to be a mystical experience, you know, and I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know. I, it, it's, you know, there's no way to know. It's just like, you're going to be on this cloud. It's just going to be, woo, you know, 
which was great in my mind, because that didn't, I didn't have to do anything. You know, I didn't have to really change myself. It was just through this magical mantra, whatever, you know, guru that, oh, it's great. I don't drink or use anymore. I've got the perfect girlfriend. I'm a rock star. Hey, it's all great. You know, just complete delusion, right? So uh, Buddhism is not a mystical religion. It's very practical. Here's the work. Here's the Eightfold Path. You know, this is what you need to work on. This is what you need to cultivate. And, you know, the good news is there's a path, right? You don't have to wait for some magic to happen. Maybe the bad news is you have to do it. <laughs> it would be nice if there were like, a prayer or a mantra that you could do that would magically, you know, fix all the things that you have on your list that need to be fixed. And you'd also lose weight, you know? So it's, you know, I do find it continuing to be inspiring. Um, that this, that this work, that this process really does change you, you know, uh, and uh, I, I feel it, you know, I actually, I, in a way, I feel it more now than I ever have, which I guess is appropriate. I, I keep doing it. And, but there have been times and, there will probably be times again when it feels like I've lost it, when, you know, the moods and the stresses kind of pile up. Um, or, you know, when the body starts to fail and all those things. But, uh, but it's really more clear to me than ever that this work really is transformative. And, I do think it's helpful to see it as something uh, to see it framed and to see, uh, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to do tonight is to give you a sense of, Oh yeah, this, how it works. Like the chapter five in the AA big book, like, yeah, this isn't just like, Oh, you know, you go to spirit rock and do meditation. There is, there's this process and it, it really does help to understand the process. At the same time, you don't have to be thinking about the process all the time, as long as you kind of have the, are sort of engaging on these basic levels. So the, you know, the three classical aspects of the, of the eightfold path are the, the sila, which is morality and ethical behavior, you know, it's cleaning up your act. And then this mental cultivation, mind training, you know, starting to really look at your own mind and see that. And then taking what you see and seeing the, and, and starting to awaken to the, the wisdom that is revealed through this process. And so that's what we're kind of doing on a daily basis. And then we don't have to, 
you know, go to a monastery or, you know, give up. Uh, I don't know what would people think they might have to get. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, you probably do have to give up some stuff, but, you know, you don't have to give up having a happy, joyful life and having fun and, and, and love and, and passion, excitement, uh, you know, it's a, any more than you do when you get sober, you know, but you, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like a, there's a kind of momentum that builds. And I think, yeah, for sure, it's hard to get it started. Just it, it, like it's many people find it difficult to get a meditation practice started. And that's why going to classes is great. And it just as with recovery, it's hard to get that started. That's why going to meetings is great. You know, the a community, this is when I said like, you know, the, the three aspects of, of karma are action, speech, and, and mind or thoughts. Speech really implies relationship and community. And so that's, we can't overlook that. There's a, a great line where the Buddha says that the whole of the holy life is noble friends and noble conversation. It's being in a spiritual community. So this isn't about doing it alone, even though we are responsible for our own practice and our own program and our own development. But we, we depend on each other. We depend on our teachers. We depend on our friends. And, and then there, there can be this momentum in which this just is our life. And, and certainly for me, recovery was like that. At first, it was just sort of like I'm doing recovery, right? I'm showing up. I'm doing these steps. I'm, Eventually it became, oh, this is just my life. You know, these are my friends. This is, you know, these are the people I care about. These are the things that I, the activities I do. These are the goals I have. And it was all of a piece. And the Dharma then can become kind of inform that, uh, that, that life and enrich it and deepen it. Uh, so that, again, it just has this momentum where it becomes who we are. It's not like, oh, I have to be a good person. and I need to be a Buddhist if I want to get all those good things. Like, no, it's, it's, it's much, in a way, it's much simpler than that. And, and I think that, you know, we do have to find the joy in it. And I think that, again, with recovery, that was the great doubt I had before I got sober, was like, how am I going to enjoy my life if I'm not drinking and using? And what, you know, once I got sober, I mean, for me, I was very fortunate that as soon as I got sober, I was like, oh, I feel better already. You know, I was happier. And, and so it just immediately revealed the delusion behind that thought that, um, yeah. Um, and, and I feel like the same is true that people can kind of like, Oh, I have to meditate all the time. It's like, wow, no meditation can. And I don't like the word should exactly, but 
it kind of should be enjoyable. And if you're not enjoying it, it's kind of like you're, there's, there might be something going that's a little off in the way you're approaching it. Like you're, tr you're, you're trying too hard. I was thinking about that, that um, one of the mistakes we have in practice is what I would call wrong expectation. You know, we, we think that it should be a certain way and then we judge ourselves. We, we especially like wrong expectation about ourselves. If I meditate, I sh it should be like this. If it's not like that, then I must be doing it wrong. You know, I must be, not that I'm doing it. Uh, there's something wrong with me. You know? So when we, when we realize, oh, yeah, it's totally okay that I spent the last 20 minutes spacing out. Oh, that's okay? Yeah, that's okay. Oh, okay, good. Then, then, I, then I don't have to be miserable about my meditation, you know, the idea that I'm going to meditate and then feel bad about it. Like, why would I do that? Like, so I think it is important to find a way to find, if not pleasure, at least kind of ease in your meditation and kind of experiment with it. What do I need to do? Uh, where do I need to ease up? Where am I? Or you can ask the other question, how am I creating tension? Uh, how am I creating meditation as a problem or a, or a challenge or a struggle? So this is our path. We seek to improve our conscious contact with the Dharma. We seek to be more present, to see the Dharma more clearly so that we can know the right, next right thing, so that we can be have clarity about our skillful, the next skillful actions and the way we move to move forward, so that we can be guided by and have these principles in mind, and so that we can see into our own minds, our own habit patterns, and incline our minds toward more skillful thoughts and more skillful beliefs and behaviors. So I hope this is helpful tonight. Um, whenever we have this class, I have a moment of appreciation for the fact that this Buddhist center has supported this work, supported those of us in recovery for all these years. So uh, just a moment of gratitude, if you can feel that, that we've re had that support. And gratitude for that each of us can have for our own recovery. In the 12 steps, we try to carry the message. In our meditation practice, we do something a little less outward, that is wishing that beings may be free from suffering. May all beings be free from the pain of addiction 
Maybe they find the path of recovery. May all beings be happy, joyous, and free. Thank you all for showing up for yourself, for each other. Keep coming back, keep practicing. And in these, you know, weeks of the holiday so-called season, <laughs> be extra vigilant with your recovery and stay close. Stay close to the people who will support you. Blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.